Second uh, Corinthians chapter two this morning. Second Corinthians chapter two. Paul is dealing here with the gospel. In Second Corinthians chapter two, the verses we're going to look at. We're going to look at verse twelve through verse seventeen. <clears throat> Let's read it, and then I'm going to comment on the first two verses before we actually get into the message, right? Verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, uh, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence unto Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that, are per- that perish. Uh, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity and as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Now, Father, would you bless your word to us? Help us to lay hold upon truth. And Lord, may truth find its mark in our hearts, Lord, and motivate us to serve, and to do. In Jesus' name, amen. First two verses there, Paul is dealing with the idea that he has an open door ahead of him. Now, we're not going to deal with it this morning. We're going to come back to it, but I do want to make a couple of comments to you. Uh, An open door for the ministry of the gospel is a fruitful place for the gospel to go forth and for people to get saved and for great things. And Paul mentions this thought uh, of an open door uh, several different times as he goes through the gospel. And we we will look at the, the, the deal again. On this occasion, he can't take it because he has a burden, but he looks at these people, he realizes their souls here that need the gospel. There's people here that could get saved. I could be used here. There's an open door for the ministry of the gospel. Now, here's the point I want to make to you this morning. Do you know what? There are open doors in your life for the gospel. Sometimes, you know, we just, we, we come to church and we, and we do the church thing and we, uh, we do our God thing, uh, <laughs> such as it is, and we forget the reality that, no, God has a plan uh, to reach people and there's an open door. There's a fruitful place in your life that maybe could result in a ministry, maybe it would result in just some people getting saved, but there's a fruitful place in your life that's an open door. My wife is working with a, with, with a child and, uh, at the moment, and um, she, she, we were just talking about it the, uh, a few days ago. She, she just understood, listen, I have an open door with this family. I have an open door to speak to these people. And, you know, sometimes you have an open door for the gospel and we don't recognize it. We don't cotton on to it. We don't kind of uh, accept it and go forward in it. And an opportunity is missed. Right? You, may, you will have an open door with your own family. They may not like what you have to say. We're going to see as we look at Paul's uh, plan as far as the gospel is concerned. You know, the people who you deliver the gospel did not always like what you're saying. That's perfectly fine. I, I, didn't, I did not like what, what was being said to me at first. Uh, you know, I got saved on the end. So just because somebody doesn't like it doesn't mean uh, that they're not going to get saved. But you will have an open door. You will have a, po- a possibility to take the gospel and to deliver it into people's lives. Don't miss them. You might have an opportunity for a ministry. Maybe you have some skill. I heard of a guy once uh, who uh, was quite the deal uh, on roller skating, right? <clears throat> and so you know what he did? He started a ministry, roller skating, but the, 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 the point of the whole ministry was the gospel, Every time those people met, he was looking for opportunity for the gospel. And that becomes an open door of ministry. You see, there's so many things in our lives. You have contacts, you have skills, you have abilities that you could make contact with people and they become an open door for the gospel. Because remember, if people know you 
and maybe like you or respect you, you know what? They're much more open to hearing you, hearing the gospel from you, than they are from somebody knocking on their door who they have not, never met before and is interrupting them watching a football game. You know, so let, let, let's keep our eyes open for open doors as far as the gospel are, are concerned. Now, to our text this morning, <clears throat> we want to look at our text here. Uh, and when it comes to the gospel, uh, I realize there are times when the gospel is going forth, you know, with great flourish and with great power and people are getting saved. There are times. You can, you can look at history and there are times of revival and that's what happening, what's happening and, and souls are just getting saved. And there are times when, you know what, that's really not... Uh, what you would say. And I realize that the day that we're in today uh, is not one of those days when the gospel is just flourishing forth. I understand that. I, I understand that. But you know what? Whether the gospel is flourishing forth or not, and souls are getting saved in great abundance or not, we need to be mindful of the responsibility that we have to the gospel. Right? We need to be mindful of it. You see, basic to you and I, as far as the gospel is concerned, is this simple thought. It's obedience. I'm supposed to tell people about it because it's obedience. I'm supposed to speak the, the word of God because it's obedience, right? And, and you're looking for opportunities. You're maybe passing out tracts. You're looking for ways that you can actually bring the gospel to people. That's the way Christianity is. That's the, <clears throat> that's the genius, if you like, of Christianity. That what happened was Jesus came. You know, <clears throat> if you look at what Jesus achieved uh, in the time he was on, uh, on the earth, he never built a church. Uh, you know, he, he, he didn't even, you know, lay out the, uh, all the framework for an organization. What he did was he reached a group of people and he said, now, you go forth and you preach the gospel. And when, you, when other people get saved, you teach them to preach the gospel too. And that's what's happened in Christianity. Chris, Christianity has flourished and, and ebbed and flowed over the years. But you know what? One of the key factors uh, in Christianity's flourishing is that the people of God Get, get, get active about the Word of God. And I guarantee you, if you and I get active about the Word of God, if we get active about delivering the Word of God to people, you know what? Souls will get saved. You say, but you just said, Pastor, this is not a time when the gospel is flourishing. You know what? It doesn't need to be a time when the gospel is flourishing for souls to get saved. You just need to deliver the Word. If you deliver the Word, you know what? The Holy Spirit will do the rest. You need to deliver the Word. All right? <clears throat> okay. So... <clears throat> First point here in our text is that the gospel is always triumphant. Look at the verse. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. We always triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You know, Paul, his ministry was obviously declaring the gospel. And he went from town to town, from city to city, uh, from synagogue to synagogue. And then he would take it uh, to whoever else would listen. But he went and he preached the gospel. And he's not talking about a hope so, maybe so uh, truth here. He's talking about a truth he knows. We always triumph. You say, well, hang on a minute, Paul. Were you triumphing when they were stoning you to death? And he says, yeah, I was. He always causes us to triumph. He always causes us to triumph. Now, it's in Christ. It's to do with the gospel. And there's always triumph in the gospel. Do you think the enemy knows that? Of course he knows that. So you know what he does? He sits on us. He tries to shut our mouths. He tries to stop us from talking about it. He's, he's got, <clears throat> you know, and, and there have been ages in the church's history when there was virtually no gospel witness because the enemy had won uh, the day, and he had succeeded in keeping the church quiet. And, you know, he'll do it with us if we'll let him. 
And we, we listen, we can justify it for a whole bunch of reasons why we would. Well, nobody wants to listen. Well, people get upset. You know, we're in a post-Christian era. We can have all the excuses in the world. But you know the truth? The truth is, if you and I will preach the gospel, if you and I will take the gospel to people, we, we will triumph. Let me give you a couple of things. Uh, the Great Commission does not allow for failure. It just doesn't allow. Jesus said to the guys, he said, uh, uh, you're to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It doesn't say, I want you to teach the gospel, and if anybody ever gets saved, I'm not sure they will, but if anybody ever gets saved, I want you to baptize them. No. Jesus just knows that the power is in the message, not the messenger, and that if we will preach the gospel, the Spirit of God will do his work. If we will preach the gospel, if we will declare the gospel, people will get saved. That is just the way it is. You see, <clears throat> the fields are white unto harvest. Let me read you Matthew nine thirty-seven and 38. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Do you think there's a white harvest out there today? There is. You say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. I've talked to people and they don't want to know. Uh, they're not interested. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one in a second. But the reality is there's a white harvest out there and you're the harvester. I'm the harvester. We're the people that's supposed to declare the truth to them and um, we're supposed to get the truth out to them uh, because there's a harvest there. There's a harvest available. It's white unto harvest. The problem is with the laborers. The laborers are few. Now, why are the laborers few? I mean, <clears throat> we could talk about this for a long time, couldn't we? We could, we could talk about something and you're very discouraged. You're saying, well, you know what, Pastor, we tried and we tried and, we, and you know, it didn't work. People didn't get saved and, you know, <clears throat> and um, I lost friends over it and there was all kinds of problems and issues and difficulties with it. And so I backed off. I got, I, I got disappointed and I backed off. Do you know, <clears throat> I, I understand that. Humanly speaking, I understand that because I go through it myself. I understand that. But you know, it's not right. Because if we will declare the gospel, souls will get saved. You know, <clears throat> Pastor Zemeski led me to the Lord, right? <clears throat> and you know, he went through some really trying times. And <clears throat> there were times in his life when he wanted to go. My daughter Bethany was telling me just this week, she, she's traveling with a, with a group in the States at the moment. I don't even know where she was. I think she might have been in Kentucky, right? But it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, wh wherever she was. Uh, she met this couple, this older couple. Right? And she's talking to this older couple, and, and um, they, they didn't know us, but they knew about Ireland, and they asked her, did they know Pastor Zemeski? And she said, yeah, Pastor Zemeski is the, uh, is the one that started the church, and he's the one that led my dad to the family to the Lord. And... Um, they were so thrilled because Pastor Zemeski had come through at one point and he was ready to give up. He wasn't sure he was coming back to Ireland at all. He wasn't sure that God could use him in Ireland. It was just so bad. It was so hard. It was so difficult. He wanted to just give up and stay home. And they said, no, you can't. God's got souls there. You need to go back and you need to do the work. And they prayed for him. And they were just thrilled to hear the end of the story or hear part of the story uh, of what God had done. Now, here's, here's the point I'm making, right? I am so glad, glad Pastor Zemeski did not give up. A bunch of you in this room are too, aren't you? You're so glad that he did not give up. If he'd given up, you know what? A gospel light would have gone out, and you know what? You wouldn't have heard. 
But you know what happens? We give up, don't we? We're not missionaries. You're not missionaries. You don't have to spend your life doing it. So it's easy for you to give up. We get discouraged. I get fed up. You know, people don't listen. They, they don't want to hear. And, so and we stop telling people. And then you know what happens. They don't get to hear. And the enemy wins. Remember that. He's involved in that. The enemy wins. You know what? We need to rededicate ourselves, our lives, our hearts to delivering the gospel. <clears throat> listen, you're doing a whole bunch of stuff this week. You've got a whole uh, Listen, some of you have a schedule that's pretty full already for the week. And others of you just have going to roll with the week, but it's pretty full. And we're all, we're all busy. You know what? There's few things any of us are going to attempt this week that are going to be nearly as important as the gospel. Telling somebody about the gospel, giving somebody a tract, putting, it, putting the information in somebody's hands to help them to come and understand who Jesus Christ is. And, you know, listen, we can live our lives quite happily and miss it, and we are missing it. Because the problem is not, not with the gospel. The problem is not with the harvest. We only blame the harvest. Well, they don't want to hear it. No, the problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. If we'll do what we're supposed to do, the Spirit of God will take it, and he will do what he's supposed to do. Right, so we need to keep that in mind. First of all, the gospel is always triumphant, and the enemy knows it, so you know what he's going to do? He's going to try and beat it out of you. He's going to try and discourage you. He's going to try and stop you in any way he possibly can. And you need to rise up and say, no, no way. No way. Get thee behind me, Satan. I am not going your way on this. I am going to speak the gospel. Grab a bunch of tracts as you're leaving and don't leave it with just a tract. Talk to people. And you'll be amazed at who listens, at who hears, at who gets saved. You see, we're very short-sighted. Well, I tried it last week and nothing happened last week, so I gave up. Now, I got, you know, I'm being purpose, purposefully uh, making it small there, but isn't that what happens? You know, if the person who delivered the gospel to you had given up, where would you be today? There are people out there that you're supposed to reach. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Right? <clears throat> the gospel is always triumphant. If you will keep on with the gospel, I guarantee you, you will look back over your life and you will say, you know what? The gospel is triumphant. Look what happened. But if you don't, it won't. It can't. <clears throat> okay, so the gospel is always, tri always triumphant. Secondly, we are to be a sweet savor of Christ to all. Now, this is an interesting verse, right? Uh, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. We are a sweet savor. What we are is, as far as the gospel is concerned, as far as people are concerned, you know what? we're the smell, we're the taste of Christ to them. You see, back in the Old Testament, you know, <clears throat> God proved himself to the nation of Israel by setting a mountain on fire, by thunderings and lightnings, and the mountain was on fire, and they went, oh my goodness, let's stay away from that. He's, he's too scary. Moses, you go talk to him because we're terrified of him. <clears throat> but you know how God makes himself known in this day and age? He doesn't set mountains on fire like that. You know how he makes himself known? You and I. You and I are the, the, the means of God making his name known in this age. Now, it's kind of, it's very simple, and yet it's complicated. You see, the Spirit of God came to indwell you so that you are Christ in the world today. 
Okay? I don't get, don't get it wrong. I'm not making you the Pope or anything. Right? <clears throat> uh, the Spirit of God indwells you so that as you walk around, you're supposed to manifest Christ to people. They're supposed to see the savor, the taste, or the smell almost of Christ as they see you, as they hear from you. Now, I want to ask you a question. What are you manifesting to people? What do people see when they look into your life? Now, there's an element to which we have no control over this. Right? There's an element to which, you know, listen, they see something different in us because Christ is working. But I want to ask you, what are you manifesting to them? Because there's all kinds of Christs out there. Did you know that? There's all kinds of Christ. There's a hippie, Jesus, uh, who would be comfortable smoking a joint. Right? Now, you know what? The problem with that is that's not Jesus. That's not him. But there are people that are manifesting that and saying, yeah, yeah, listen, he's cool, he's easy, he's fine. No, that's not Jesus. Right? Uh, then there's the tolerant one who accepts immorality and even gay marriage. He says, you know, it's all fine, everything's good, no problems, and, you know, just fine. And a lot of people are manifesting that Christ today. A lot of people are manifesting a Christ that says, yeah, yeah, it's fine. problem with it is that's, that's, that's not the biblical Christ. That's not who he says he is. Then there's the angry one that demands that everyone be just like you. The angry one, I'm right. I've got it together. I've got it right. And if you want to be like Christ, you need to be like me. And you know what? That's not Christ either. That's not what you're supposed to be manifesting. How are you going to manifest Christ to a lost and dying world? A world that's hungering and thirsting after something more than what they have. How are you going to do it? How's that going to happen uh, in your life? The only way for people to see the real Bible Jesus is for you to be filled with him. That's the only way. There's no way they're going to see him apart from you being filled with him. You see, here's what happens. You're to be the savor of Christ to a lost world. But if you're not in that vital union with him where you're abiding in him and his spirit is in you and you're heeding him and here you're bearing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness. If you're, not, if you're not in that reality, you know what? You're not going to manifest the savor of Christ in a right way to the world. That's what Paul is talking about. You know, Paul, Paul, Paul had two things going on. He was a great preacher. He was a faithful preacher. He was always preaching the gospel. But you know what? Even if you didn't hear him preach and you were around Paul, you'd say, what is it about this guy? What is it? There is something different about this guy, Paul. Man, you know he used to be a persecutor of the church and look at him now. Because he was manifesting the savor of Christ everywhere he went. Are you? What do people see? When they look at you, what do people see when you talk about Christ? What do, what, you know, the, the, the only way it's going to be real if it's actually him. You know, Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's talking about a, trans, a transformation in your life that is evident to people out there. 
It's got to be real. And you know, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to be honest with the Holy Spirit. Is it real? Because people are looking at you. You know, you call yourself Christian. You go to uh, that Baptist church up there. and They're looking at your life and they're saying, okay, so what's different? And they kind of scrutinize you. Isn't that awful? Isn't that so unfair? That's reality. They kind of scrutinize your life and they want to see, yeah, you know, is this real? And what they want to see is that vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, don't go about this thing as a matter of guilt. It's not a matter of guilt. The, the, the happiest, sweetest, most joyful thing you could do with your life is give yourself to Jesus and let him manifest himself through your life. You're going to find that's the sweetest, most blessed life you could possibly live. But you know, anything less than that for a lost world is going to give them the wrong message, the wrong signal. Do you know there are people who say, well, you know what? <clears throat> if he's a Christian, then I wouldn't want anything to do with him. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible? You know what? We need to be a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perished. You know what's amazing to me? What's amazing to me is the people that won't have anything to do with the gospel will talk about some Christian they know in glowing terms. It's amazing. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to get saved. But you know what? They, 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 They look at Christians and they say, you know what, there is something there. So that even though they may not receive the gospel, you know what? Still, the life you live filled with the Spirit of God impacts their lives so they know something about God because they've been around you. Oh, you know what? We have a truly tremendous responsibility as we live our lives in this world. We have a tremendous responsibility because people are looking at us. People are talking about us. People are, people are interested in our lives. It needs to be real. It needs to be real. We need to live <clears throat> uh, like it's real. Uh, the only way for people to see it is for you to be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ, for you to be filled with his spirit. Uh, Some will be saved and some will not. Now, look, this verse is very important to us, right? To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now, you got the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul is, you know, he is a plus plus Christian. He is the man, as far as Christianity is concerned, uh, this guy leaves us all standing in the dust. I mean, he is just... I mean, if you, if, if you had to go with Paul on, on a journey, you'd just be tired with him talking about the journey he was going to take. I mean, he, he was just unstoppable. You can stone him. He'll get up, dust himself, and he'll go off and preach the gospel. You know, you can do what you like to Paul. Paul's going to preach the gospel. If anybody could reach everybody, he preached the gospel. There's got to be the Apostle Paul. But he didn't. And he didn't even expect everybody to get saved. Now, I think there's a subtle deception that goes in for us in that we expect when we preach the gospel, people are going to get saved. And when they don't, we feel like we failed. And I think the enemy likes to do that. Now, understand what he's saying is, to the one we're the savor of death unto death. Those people, are, they, they see, they understand, they taste something of, but they don't accept and they die in their sins and go to hell. And to the other, we are the savor of life unto life. And Paul says, who's sufficient for these things? I'm not able. I can't do it. It's, it's in God's hands, right? <clears throat> so let me give you some points here. First, you can't save anyone. 
Right? You can't save anyone. Get that responsibility off your shoulders. You can't save anyone. And nobody. And if you think some, you did save somebody, they're probably not saved. Because <clears throat> you can't save anyone, right? Uh, that's not your job. Now, this really helps me because you know what? I'm not responsible for saving them. You are just God's messenger to them. You are just somebody who's bringing the message of salvation to them. That's all your job is. That's all you can do. That's all you're expected to do. God wants you to bring the message of salvation to them. If you do that, you know what? The Spirit of God can do the rest. Uh, John 16, verse 8 says, And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction of sin. Nobody gets saved apart from conviction of sin. Talking to somebody this week about, <clears throat> about the gospel, and they said, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm just not interested. I, I, it doesn't grab me, is what they actually said. Now, you know, listen, it's not over for that person. But you know what? <clears throat> I have to understand, I can't make them. Somebody makes a statement like that, and you want to go and convince them, don't you? You want to go and say, okay, oh, but, but you got to, do, do, do you realize the consequences if you don't? You can't. Your job is to deliver the gospel. You can release yourself from the pressure of having to save people. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit of God's job. Your job is to be a faithful messenger. Isn't that really helpful? Isn't it helpful to think my job is to be a faithful messenger? My job is just to deliver the message. People getting saved is between them and God, but my job is to deliver the message. I'll tell you two things. It will take a weight off your shoulders. It will stop you from getting discouraged and disappointed because you're not effective as you see it. And the other thing, it will stop you from badgering people because they don't like being badgered. They particularly don't like you badgering them, do they? You deliver the message. You deliver the message best you know how. The Spirit of God is more than able to do His end of it. He never fails. If we'll do our part, He'll do His part. And by the way, you will will search the Bible from cover to cover and you will not find God's plan B for the gospel. What I mean is this. You will not find where God says, well, okay, and if you don't do it, I have these host of angels. They're going to come and do it in your place. There is no plan B. We are the plan. We're saved and we're supposed to deliver the gospel. We're supposed to be faithful messengers delivering the gospel. Are you a faithful messenger? Are you a faithful messenger? Now again, don't, don't, don't go away and hide your head uh, because you're guilty. Get it right if it's not right in your life. Say, okay, Lord, help me. I want to be. And start this week. Being a faithful messenger. Um, Recently read a story, uh, an old and familiar story, right? Of an old man walking on the beach at dawn who noticed a young man ahead of him picking up starfish and flinging them into the sea. Catching up with the youth, he asked what he was doing. The answer was that the stranded starfish would would die if left in the morning sun. But the beach goes on for miles and miles. There are millions of starfish, counted the old man. How can your effort make any difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand and then threw it safely into the waves. It makes a difference to this one, he said. You can't save everybody. You can't even deliver the message to everybody. 
But every person you deliver the message to is somebody who gets an opportunity, gets a chance. Somebody who gets the opportunity to get saved. Listen, this is important work. This is important work. Oh, the enemy would have you believe it's the, it's the least of what you're going to do this week. But you know what? There's coming a moment when you and I step out of this life and step into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that are big now are going to be small then and the things that are small now are going to be big then and one of the big things is going to be were you a faithful witness? Real simple. Were you a faithful witness? Were you actually doing it? <clears throat> now, last point here. Uh, <clears throat> don't be tempted to compromise on the word of God. Let me say this to you about this point here. <clears throat> it's very easy for us to come to the place where because of a heart, you know, we, we get burdened to reach people with the gospel. And because of a heart wanting to reach people with the gospel, we'll take and we will compromise the word of God to do it. It's never going to work. It's never going to work if we do it that way. Paul says this. He says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, uh, but as of God in the sight of God, so speak we in Christ. Don't corrupt, don't compromise the word of God. Every age has its opportunity to corrupt the word of God. And unfortunately, a good portion of the church always goes with it. <clears throat> Every age. You know, we can talk about evolution, right? 1850s and after the 1850s, the church got shaken by the fact that, you know, evolution is, is real. It's been proven as science. And what happened was the church made the attempt to compromise. And it cost the church, always costs the church when it makes the, t- the attempt to compromise. Well, the, the church made the, the, the attempt to squeeze evolution into Genesis chapter 1. You can't do it. You don't need to do it. God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. And it doesn't matter what the science looks like. What God said is always true. I read about a famous evangelist recently. And he mightily used, if I mentioned his name, I think probably everybody in this room would know him. He was was a great evangelist. But you know, uh, in the latter part of his ministry, he began to compromise. He began to compromise the Catholic Church and say, well, you know what? They, 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 they talk about the fundamentals of the faith too. And if people go to the Catholic Church, they can, uh, they can be saved. Now, now, understand this about the Catholic Church. I believe a Catholic person can be saved, but I don't believe they can be saved because of the teaching of the Catholic Church. I believe they can be saved because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but the teaching of the Catholic Church does not lead someone to salvation. The teaching of the Catholic Church leads someone to trust in their good works. You know, that's just plain basic reality. That's what it does. It leads someone to trust in their own good works. Been there, done that, and it doesn't work. Right? But this man compromised in that area. And then I listened to an interview, or read an interview uh, that he had made. And, and you know what he had done? Uh, he, he, had, he had traveled from there. Somebody asked him the question, well, well, do you think people can be saved without hearing from Christ, without hearing about Christ? And he said, yeah. I think if they live a good life and they live different to the people around them and they're hearing from God and even if they've never heard from Jesus, they can go to heaven. Now, look, this man had a heart for evangelism like I wish I had. This man saw more people saved in his lifetime than I probably ever will. But you know what happened? He compromised truth. And you know what happens when you compromise truth? When you compromise truth, what happens is you shut the door to salvation to a whole bunch of people. 
Because there were a whole bunch of people that thought, hey, you know what? We're okay. We live good lives. We do good. Living a good life never saved anybody. It's impossible. The only thing that can save somebody is faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't compromise truth to get a hearing. That, that's not worth the sacrifice. And what you're going to do is you're going to do the opposite of what you want to do. You're going to shut the door to people. Let me tell you, the one for our age, the one for our age is the gay marriage LGBT movement, right? And, <clears throat> and let me say this. I think we should love gay people. I think we should want to see gay people saved. I think we should have a heart for them. I do not think we should treat them like they're pariahs, like they're the worst people in the world, because they're not. But you know what? The Bible's very clear. It's sin. This week, there's a, <clears throat> an American lady... Uh, speaker who's very well known, and she came out with a statement. Somebody asked her, can, can a gay marriage be holy? Great question. She gave the wrong answer, though. She said, yes, it can. And she went on to explain how she thought that was part of God's plan, too. And, man, it's a disaster. Now, you say, hang on a minute, Pastor. I mean, <clears throat> do, you, do, do you disagree with everybody who disagrees with this? I disagree with everybody who disagrees with the Bible. The Bible's very clear on this issue. And you say, but why are you being so hard about it? I don't want to be hard about it at all. Here's the thing. You know what? I got convicted of lying. And because of my lie, the Spirit of God convinced me of my sin and all the rest of my sin, and I got saved. I am so glad somebody didn't tell me, don't worry about lying. That's only a white lie. That's not a sin. That's fine. What they would have done is they would have removed the means of conviction from my life. Do you know what? In the kindest, most loving way you possibly can, you have got to call sin, sin. And if you don't, what happens is you let people off the hook and you remove the means of conviction. You see, if we don't stand for truth, if we won't uphold the word of God like Paul says, what happens is we end up dealing with the world in falsehoods and they're feeling okay because the church is not telling them different. They're feeling it's okay, it's fine because the church is not telling them different. You have got to, sometimes you'll have to take a breath and you'll have to say, no, you know what, the Bible says that's wrong. Now, don't be arrogant and mean and nasty about... Because you know what? You wouldn't have liked it if somebody did it on you and the person you're doing it to won't like it either. And it'll come between them and the gospel. But you need to tell them what the Word of God says. You need to tell them what the truth says in a loving, kind, caring way. And you need to expect... Listen, we are in a mixed-up day. We are in a day, we are in a day that <clears throat> where, where, you know... Uh, governments have made decisions they had no business meddling in, and um, we are going to be faced with a mess in the future. And this, the, you know, the, um, the LGBT movement is not going to go away. It's going to get more ridiculous, and it's going to get more difficult, and it's going to be harder for us to deal with. But you know what? We're going to have to, with an open heart, deal with it, because you know what? Just because someone's gay doesn't mean God doesn't want to save them. Just because somebody's living a wrong life, you know what? If living a wrong life meant you couldn't be saved, we wouldn't be, would we? None of us. Because we were all living a wrong life when we got saved. So don't corrupt the Word of God. Be true to the Word of God. What you're going to do when you're true to the Word of God, you introduce the need for grace into people's lives. 
See, I did not get saved because I was a good person. And I have not been a good person since I got saved. You know what? It's all grace. And you know, it's always grace. But if there's no sin, there's no need for grace. So when we do that, when we say, no, don't you worry about it, it's fine, it's okay, you're good. And the Bible says differently, what we do is we remove the means of grace, and that's the meanest thing you can do in somebody's life. That's the meanest thing you can do to them. We've got to be loving, we've got to be kind, we've got to deal with a different age, but you know what, we've got to deal with it. We've got to be honest, we've got to say what the Scripture says. We've got to side with God. Because if we don't, what happens is we actually close the door to salvation to people. And we need to keep that door open. We need to keep that door open no matter what they throw at us. We need to keep that door open because people need to get saved. That's what God wants. And God can save anybody. Now, listen, here we have the word of God. Here we have the gospel. The most powerful message in the world. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? Right? The gospel is simply this, right? You're a sinner. Do you understand that about yourself? You're a sinner. I'm going to ask you a question then when we're singing the songs, how many of you are wretches? Right? It would be a hard one to raise your hand to, wouldn't it? I'm a wretch, right? But you know what? <clears throat> wretches end up in mansions. And nobody else does. You have to face the fact that you're a sinner before you can get saved. Before a mansion, you've got to face the fact that, listen, I am a sinner. I am a wretch. <clears throat> Everybody's a sinner. Every last person in this room is a sinner. Right? There's a payment for our sin. The Bible calls the payment for our sin hell. Right? So everybody has earned a place in hell. You say, but that's not fair. Well, it's more fair than you think it is, but you know what? You don't get to make the rules. God makes the rules. And that's what he says. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And then he says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Right? But there is good news, but the good news is only good news because it's shown on the background of the bad news. The bad news is that everybody on this planet's a sinner on their way to hell. That's what we've done. That's, that's who we are. That's what we are. But the good news is the gospel. That's what the gospel means, good news. And the good news is that though I'm a sinner, though I deserve hell, Jesus came and he hung on a cross to pay the price of my sins and he did it. He said, it is finished. It is done. It is over. I have paid it all. The good news is that the price of sin has been paid in full. What do you have to do? The Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean to believe? It means to trust what he did. One day, 30 years ago, I knelt by my bed, a mile or so from here, and I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. And he did, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. Not because I was good before then, not because I was good since then, because at that moment I put my trust in him. Have you ever done that? You know what? You can't deliver the gospel if you've never received the gospel. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to that place where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You could do it today. It's simple. It's straightforward. You could say, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I understand there's a payment, there's a price for my sin. Lord, it's awful. You know what? It's a hard thing to say, I deserve hell. I understand that. It's a hard thing to say that. But you could say, Lord, I recognize there's a price for my sin. But you sent your son to die for my sin, and 
You said you'd save me if I'd trust you. And I'm trusting you. And you know what? God would be there. And he would do it just like he's done it for me, just like he's done it for millions. He would do the saving if you would come today. The Bible says, Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Not might be, not maybe, not would be, not could be. Thou shalt be saved. You will be saved if you call upon the name of the Lord today. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, Lord, a people that desperately need you. And Lord, many here have trusted you and have come to know you as their Savior. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, there are those that haven't. And oh, Lord, I pray for them this morning, Lord, that you would just bless, that you would just draw them to you, that they would cry out to you. Lord, in these few moments, they would cry out and they would be saved. And Lord, for your children, Lord. Oh, Lord, we know the gospel. We know its power because we've seen the dynamite go off in our own lives. And yet the enemy succeeds in deceiving us into thinking it's lost its power. Oh, Lord, may there be a confronting of ourselves with the reality of the power of the gospel. And, Lord, an obedience to you in doing it in this week. Lord, would you bless? Would you work in hearts and lives now, we pray? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Why don't you just talk to God right now? If you're not saved, ask him to save you right now, just as we stand here. And if you're saved and you're his child and the Spirit of God has convicted you about delivering the gospel, would you just talk to him right now? You know, confess the sin and ask him to help you this week and go forth and be renewed in it and declare the gospel. Just where you stand, you just talk to God yourself. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We claim your power now, Lord, to save and to send forth your people with the gospel. Lord, may we see you do things this week uh, because your people have dealt with you. In Jesus' precious name.